Welcome everyone tuning into the April edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast, which is a joint project with the Southwest Climate Change Network and the Climate Assessment for the Southwest, or CLEMAS, both here at the University of Arizona. Today is Wednesday, April 24th, and we're going to discuss predominantly fire weather, i.e. current conditions, and a little bit of the monsoon, but uh, don't expect much there, but we'll talk about why you shouldn't expect much there. Um, and then uh, we'll likely also amble, as we always do, into other topics related to climate and weather here in, in Arizona, New Mexico. So I'm Zach Guido, and I'm joined by longtime CLEMAS contributor, uh, Mike, Dr. Mike Crimmins. And uh, we're lucky to have Mike here today. He took a break from last month, but he's back, and he actually did his PhD dissertation on fire weather in the Southwest. So we'll, we'll tap into his expertise there. Okay, so I'll kick it off here uh, on a personal note. This is my least favorite time of year. Um, as many of you know, especially those on a road bike, which I'm one of those, it's, it's windy. And uh, wind for a road biker is a lot like rain for everybody else. You can do it, but you suffer through it. <laughs> so it's windy and it's hot. And, um, you know, we don't get a lot of rain until the monsoon comes. And, uh, and so, Mike, how would you characterize this from a climatological spe- uh, perspective this April through May? Well, you know, I, you know, my least favorite month is May, actually, because it's going to get worse, Zach. I hope you know that it's going to get hotter <laughs> and windier next month, so y- you have no hope. It's supposed to be 40-mile-an-hour winds tomorrow. Yeah, that's about right, and that's not too unusual for this time of year. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I took off last month, so I've, I've been just studying feverishly, tracking weather and climate every minute um, to prepare for this very moment, and I haven't had a lot to, to actually sort of read up on. It's been... Um, pretty boring over the last 30 days. We it's had, climatologically boring as well. It's climatologically boring. We call it the boring for summer. It's like the doldrums, except it is. it's, it's the exactly opposite right. of doldrums, right? Yes, no, it's it's right. Is, a, it is the doldrums. Yes, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's like a climatologic, it's a seasonal doldrum that, set, <laughs> that settles in. So um, yeah, but it's windy. It's the, kind of the opposite of what you'd expect over, the, over an oceanic um, situation with a doldrum. So yeah, the last 30 days, um, we had one event of, of consequence, and I'm speaking of consequence, I'm looking for precipitation. You know, I'm looking for a nice cloudy day where we get some precip. And we had a, um, a closed low wandered in off the Pacific, not particularly cold, um, moved through April 8th, 9th, 10th, something like that. Um, we got, I think, just a, a bit of sprinkling out of it. Not, not a whole lot came, came with it. it. It cooled down slightly. It clouded over, which was nice. It, you know, it gave, a, gave you a little bit of a, a breather because we had been moving out of some pretty warm temps um, prior to that period. Um, it did put down a decent amount of precipitation um, along the Mogollon Rim, so north of here. A couple of gauges, you know, picked up an inch, an inch and a half, which which ain't too shabby for this time of year. Which oddly has been the pattern all, all winter. Yeah, it's, it makes me start to think that there's a little bit of pencil whipping going on with some of those gauges up there. I have, you know, I, I, sort of northern Gila, southern, it's, well, it's just right up around Sholo and right. up on the Mogan Rim. There's been a bullseye. Um, I can think of two or three events this winter have sort of centered on that. And nobody seems to luck out um, other than them. I mean, you know, north of there. Didn't, didn't really pick up a, a ton with it. And then poor New Mexico, these systems have forgotten that New Mexico is still part of the union and um, have sort of just you know, quickly exited without putting down any precipitation um, in, that, in that part of the Southwest. Yeah, so looking at some numbers here, I'm gonna shuffle some papers around here and, and looking at some maps. Um, most of it, yeah, so outside of that Mogollon Rim region, most of Arizona has, has experienced less than 70% of average precipitation for 
for the water year in New Mexico, as you mentioned, has been, uh, has been even drier um, to the tune of less than 25% in many, many areas. I and mean, we're talking about precipitation deficits on the order of, of five inches for the winter period, which is uh, not a pretty, pretty sight there. No, I mean, just can't catch a break. I mean, we're, we're talking multiple years now of multiple seasons where things have fallen below normal. Really, yeah. just yet another. We're just sort of stacking it up. So, I mean, it does seem like, I mean, f- for me, I've been paying attention really for the last three years, and it seems like that's been the pattern. Like, some Arizona gets clipped a little bit here and there. You know, the precipitation, it's been drier than average predominantly, but New Mexico has fared, fared worse. Is there any, like, climatological, re- not climatological reason, but is, is there any... Is there any reason for that? Is there, you know, some yeah, sort of I, I don't cause know. to that pattern? Does bad luck count? <laughs> is it sort of a technical explanation of that? Well, I, what, would, what would create that luck? Well, so the thing that I was sort of trying to piece together what happened with the, the April event, and, you know, a couple things. we got to start looking at April, May, and June as a transition period, right? You know, March is... What do you mean by transition period? I'm just saying that we have in the Southwest, you know, we have two distinct chances of getting precipitation throughout the year, and... They're bookended by these um, dry seasons, and so we're moving into that dry season. So we have a, this sort of winter season where we can get these winter storms dropping out of the north, and then we transition into um, a subtropical flow and get monsoon precipitation coming up from the south. So April, May, and June are really um, uh, they're transition seasons. So we're we're losing the winter storm track to the north. We're losing that support. We're losing the, primarily what we lose is the moisture, the access to the moisture to to have any of the um, storm systems be able to put down any precip. So we wait for those to lift all the way north so we can move into our subtropical regime. So April, um, mm. we shouldn't count a lot in April. So, I mean, there's there's sort of a glass half full perspective here. It's getting an event in April, you know, not too bad. I mean, we've done better in the past. Right. Um, we've also had, you know, a fair number of Aprils in the last decade or so that it hasn't rained at all. And that sort of conforms with some recent research, right? If I'm if I'm recalling correctly, the, the, the late spring storms in the uh, are becoming fewer and far between yeah i think that that's that's um you know when you think about longer term climate modeling the suggestion is is that you have a truncated um winter season here in the southwest is that the energy and the moisture um you know maybe come in a little bit later in the fall and leave a little bit earlier in the spring and so that's could be some of our reduction in precipitation um again the system's really noisy and um there's a couple of interesting things that have gone on in the, in the last couple of weeks that I've been um, paying attention to is that if anybody's been paying attention to the news in general, the um, eastern U.S. has been winter, which uh, if you remember last year, the year before, they had um, summer in March. Well, now they can't get rid of winter. Um, winter hangs on and hangs on. It's still snowing in the upper Midwest. Um, the Arctic Oscillation um, is um, just still spilling cold air to the south. And the, there's actually been a little bit of precip picked up in eastern New Mexico. So this, again, is the driest part of our whole southwest on a couple of what we call the backdoor cold fronts. So these cold fronts have been sliding down the front range of the Rockies um, with a little bit of moisture. And we're not talking deluge right. here, but they've been clipping eastern New Mexico and west Texas and dropping temps into the 20s um, while here we are in Arizona proper with um, way above average temperatures and no moisture to speak of. So there's a little bit of a flip-flop going on as we speak right now. Is it gonna, is it gonna keep up? No. But it's, um, you know, again, part of this really noisy signal. It's not clean saying that, 
you know, every year we're getting, you know, earlier and earlier. Um, we're just going to have this sort of noisy springtime transition, I think, forever. Right. Um, so it's also, though, the transition into our fire season. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We, we tend to, uh, in Arizona, New Mexico, the, the height of that season tends to be right before the monsoon starts. Because yep. that's when the, the, the longest period of, of, of dry occurs, dryness mm-hmm. occurs. Um, June's also pretty active. Mm-hmm. Uh, May is, is less active, but not, so we're, we're moving it. So what, what creates that, the sort of conditions um, for uh, the transition into the fire season? Well, it's, it's, again, it's that climatology. You know, we're sort of we're bookending our wet seasons with these dry seasons. And the, the climatology of, again, April, May, and June is um, you can look at the long-term records. And across almost all of Arizona and New Mexico um, in April, and especially in May, so we're centered on May, it just doesn't rain anywhere. It's not like... It's not like you can get a couple of late winter storms in the northern parts of the states, maybe clip some of the mountain the mountain peaks and, and those kinds of things. And you can get some early monsoon moisture moving into um, parts of southern New Mexico in, in June. But overall, I mean, the whole region dries out. Um, and again, it's a transition season, so um, we lose access to our moisture, but we still have this fairly active um, battle between the um, monsoon high, which is trying to push in from the south, and still some leftover cold air, and so that that battle between um, the warm air to the south and the cold air to the north puts us under some pretty windy conditions yeah. at the same time. So that gives that you know temps are creeping up. That those temperatures um, lower the relative humidity. The dew points are low. That contributes to the relative humidity. The wind on top of that, it's just perfect conditions for fire weather. Right, and it's preconditioned, of course, by what, what occurred in the winter. Yeah, so you can have, um, the, you know, a couple of things just sort of climatologically, um, you know, sort of April, May, June is our fire season, and, and you know, this that's the earliest um, and um, sort of most strangely centered fire season of any place in the country, right? The rest of the western U.S. and the rest of the country has their peak in, eight, in August, actually sort of July, August. By that time, uh, hopefully, it's raining down here, so our right. fire season shuts down. So. We lead everybody um, in that situation, um, and I, I forgot what your question was again. I don't think I had a question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've also, in the, in the last few years, uh, experienced some pretty epic fire seasons. Last year, um, New Mexico's Baldy Whitewater Complex, I believe, was the largest on record. Um, Previous to that, uh, 2000 and summer of 2011, both uh, nearly a million acres burned uh, in, in Arizona, and I believe a little bit more than that in New Mexico, both set records. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this, like you said, so you've got, you've got windy conditions. Um, it doesn't rain during this time of year, but then you've also got the preconditioning from what, what happened in, in, in the winter, and there had been dry, obviously, below average precipitation. But the other thing also is just the, the length of time that the, the snowpack stays, stays yeah. on the landscape, which, you know, has, has been um, trending toward uh, uh, earlier melts. Yeah, if you nuke that snowpack and you can dry out those soils and then you give it a longer stretch to dry out the fuels, you know, letting the, um, the downed fuels dry out and the grasses dry out, you're going to have, um, you know, increasing fire risk. Of course, there does seem to be some sort of self-limiting constraints imposed by fire. I mean, it can only burn so much, right? I mean... If we you, got lots to burn. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it, well, if, again, I, sort of um, uh, temper that with the idea, though, that that's at upper elevations where you've got you know a history of fire suppression and lots of fuels. Yeah, there's right. there's this little interesting um, feature of uh, Arizona and uh, New Mexico uh, fire climatology that was um, teased apart by Tom Swatnam and Huey Bentcourt that 
um, if you look in the fire records using uh, fire scars and trees, you can go back and you can actually see this El Nino La Nina signal sort of show up, and it it um, speaks to exactly what you were talking about, which is El Nino winters tend to be wet, and what they tend to do is they tend to grow a bunch of understory grasses and promote the growth of vegetation, and this can be at upper and lower elevations. But at the same time, it's usually too wet for it to burn um, in the subsequent um, spring, early summer. So, right. you, so you get this down um, signal, and then it burns later. So it burns like one or two years later, and especially when you get a La Nina. So you get all this, you grow all this fuel when it's wet, wait a couple of years for a La Nina to come by, then, this, then the wintertime is dry, so it's got plenty of time to dry everything out, and then you get this fire signal. That's really, really unique. Yeah. You don't see that um, you know, in other, other parts of the country necessarily. Yeah, well, I do have this statistic uh, uh, handy because I was reading a paper, I believe, by Park Williams. It was in uh, mm-hmm. uh, Proceeding of National Academy of Sciences Journal 2010 where they looked at the, the coverage in, in the lab between 1984 and 2006 of, of the Southwest that had experienced uh, fire mortality and... and uh, and they estimate about 2.7% of the Southwest forest and, and woodlands experienced uh, uh, pretty severe fires. Uh, so, yeah, we, there's, more, there's more forest to burn. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> lots going on. The, the bark beetle kill, you've got standing matchsticks now. I mean, you don't, you don't need to dry that fuel out. It's dead, so it's dry. <laughs> so it's ready to go. Well, so the, um, the fire managers here put out their, their, their fire outlook for the month of May, and um, they're suggesting that in South east um probably the southeast quarter of arizona and much of western new mexico the higher elevations basically of of, of new mexico uh, will experiencing increasing to above normal significant fire potential for the month of may right and so what that means is that there's a a greater likelihood that uh, large fires that demand resources external to what the region yeah. has yeah. Uh, uh, available will, will be needed. Right. But then interestingly, and I, I wasn't able to find uh, any documentation or any ex- explanation of this, but for the June and July period, um, they drop it down to normal. Interesting. So I'm yeah. not quite sure what's driving that, but hopefully uh, next month we'll, we'll have an update on that. But for the month of May, um, it does have increasing to above normal, uh, increasing significant fire potential. Yeah, you know, I guess my understanding or interpretation of that is is that that's primarily a drought signal forecast, and um, I, I don't know, I don't know why it would drop out. I think it's maybe just some expectation that um, you know maybe a sort of a hail mary is that that it, the monsoon will come in um, early to on time, which would limit that. Well, right. So that that brings us to the topic of the monsoon because I've I've gotten a few emails and, e- and even an interview about the monsoon uh, and pe- pe- obviously, not surprisingly, people want to know when when it will come and if it will deliver you know right. enough precipitation to to beat back some of these these drought conditions and I mean we're only in end of April right right <laughs> so I well you hear to hear it first I am confident it will rain somewhere sometime <laughs> this summer. Well, <laughs> that's not going out on a limb. <laughs> it isn't, but I, I always take the safe bets. So, uh, so the, the, this, uh, there is a question in there, and that, and that question is like, at this point, do we ever have the ability to say anything about the monsoon, given, you know, at the, at the end of April? Yeah. Oh, that was a question. <laughs> right. Um, do we ever have anything we have lots to say is it right is it skillful and when i say skillful is it does it does it have any sort of um uh repeatable 
you know, potential to use as a, as a forecasting tool. And I think that there are, there are a lot of different things that we can look at out there, um, but, but none of them have proven to be very um, sort of mm. con- consistently and systematically accurate over time because it's right. got so many moving parts. And I think it, and it's, it's, you know, subject to a little bit of um, chaos right up until the event of some other little features moving around. I mean, there have been some, there's some research that suggests that there's, there's sort of weak signals with the state of El Nino or La Nina in the Pacific. Right. Um, there's a little bit there. There's, you know, some suggestion that antecedent snowpack at some point in time may have been a, a factor. But again, I think there's so many moving parts. We're, we're pretty far out. Right, and of course now with the the El Nino La Nina situation is neutral conditions, so right? That yeah. sort of erases any sort yeah. of ability I mean, to look at ENSO and <laughs> quite right. honestly. So I mean the the bottom line is, um, you know, it's it's about flipping a coin at this moment. It really is. Yeah, I mean the expectation at this point, you know, you you go you go back to um, climatology right. um, at, at this situation is that the the historical average is what you got to go on. Um, which is, you know, average start dates and, and average precipitation. But, you know, if we think about it, those are such loaded terms when we talk about it because the variability of where you are and when these start dates occur is pretty noisy over time as well. Now, of course, the uh, NOAA Climate Prediction Center did suggest uh, in their latest forecast that the July, August, and September period could see below average precipitation in the, in the, in the monsoon region um, here in Arizona, New Mexico, which is yeah, kind of going out on a little bit of a limb. I think it's going on on a little bit of a limb, and, and I, I, I would suggest it at this point that um, that nobody get too worried about that forecast. Um, from what I can tell, and sort of digging through the data and sort of reading through the materials at Climate Prediction Center, is that there are some global forecast models that are hinting at sort of a dry signal, but there's also um, several that hint at a very wet signal, and so. You can actually average these together and get um, average <laughs> right. again. So I and I the, there's also these global um, uh, forecast models are not, have notoriously bad um, skill or, or this their their level of accuracy or, or sort of confidence um, related to their predictions at this time scale for that season in particular. I mean, if you think about it, when you get into the monsoon season, you start making a prediction um, over a week. Think about how how much that forecast changes from day to day. I mean, yeah. I mean, so so we're trying to do effectively capture some of that variability right. three or four months in advance, and this and the whole northern hemisphere is transitioning into a new state. Right, but that sort of brings up a question that I've gotten a number of times, and and I, you actually probably have a better answer than I do. But what is the difference between using um, weather forecast models that you know forecast up to seven to, to ten days? Um, and then these seasonal forecast models that, that, that are projecting out months in advance. That's a good question. I, I'm not sure if I could totally answer. I think Maybe that, we should explore this. That's and, a really, that is a good yeah, question. Because I've gotten yeah. this comment a number of times, and I think one of like, the, the, the questions out there is, well, if you can't predict um, more than seven days out there for the weather, then how are we going to believe anything that comes out of the models that are for you know years, let's say? Yeah, right. I mean, it's... Um, all models are wrong, but some are useful, and I think that 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 you know that goes into play, and it's it's how you interpret the information and what you're actually trying to squeeze out of the information at different timescales. Yeah, let's hold on to that. That's for, a good. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. For, and also for the for those listeners, we are going to be doing a um, monsoon briefing um, 
sometime in late June, probably after the um, probably after the middle of June, right before the monsoon soon begins. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, okay, so we should wrap it up. I, I do want to say though that um, drought conditions. We haven't really talked about. We've sort of cursory talked about drought conditions, but I did want to provide some statistics. And there hasn't been a lot of change uh, in the last month, um, but still. Um, on the order of 80 percent of Arizona is experiencing uh, at least uh, moderate drought conditions, with about 40 44 percent of that experiencing severe drought conditions. And as we touched upon uh, briefly at the beginning, there's that one little bullseye area in, uh, in in the higher elevations in the White Mountains that that are drought free at the moment. And uh, New Mexico is a is a situation that's more severe, about 50. 58% of the, the state is experiencing severe or, or extreme, no, extreme or exceptional drought. So the, those are the two highest drought conditions. So I guess the point of ending it with that and talking about the monsoon is uh, probably not going to ex- experience any, any drought relief un, un, until the monsoon rains begin. But then we probably shouldn't expect the drought conditions to go away. Gosh, I hope not. I mean, if it, poor, you know, New Mexico, if you sort of go back through the drought maps, you, I mean, the amount of red, I mean, these are categories that you're not supposed to see very often, right, just by design. And they've been parked on New Mexico for, you know, 24, 25, 30 months um, with some of these categories. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping for a normal monsoon. Above average would be great. Maybe a couple of errant tropical storms sort of move in off the Gulf of Mexico and park over. I mean, that, that absolutely happens in New Mexico, but it's going to be a long process as we're right. digging out of this thing comes in slow goes out slow it should you know it should work that way we're going to really keep an eye on the impacts you know we're talking about water resource impacts that have been accumulating over time and um you know you can't just wipe that out in one warm season um precipitation season okay well let's uh let's end it there mike uh thanks again uh and thanks to everybody tuning in you can access this podcast on both the clemas website which is www.clemas spelled c-l-i-m-a-s dot arizona dot edu as well as on the southwest climate change network which is www.southwestclimatechange.org also there's uh, a bunch of other resources on on climate uh information on both those sites so if you get a chance uh check them out and i'm uh i hope you guys tune in uh next month or we might be back earlier depending on if we have a special guest so um we'll come back thanks a lot